on this Monday afternoon, and we start hour number two by going to the orthopedic clinic phone line, and we now welcome on Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC podcast, kind enough to chat with us here on this Monday. Chris, how are things in your world? Well, not great, guys. I'm in Houston, where it was a a balmy 89 degrees yesterday and 49 today, so, uh, you know, look, I guess cold weather means we're getting into the thick of football season where games start to matter more, but... uh, I was enjoying the extended summer for a while, but uh, this cold weather's for the birds. Yes, and uh, we are just hours away from a cool down here in, in Alabama. That, that cold front headed our way for sure. But uh, it is heating up in the college football world. And, Chris, we want to start off, uh, obviously, we, we will get to some of these big matchups in the conference this weekend, that Bama-LSU game in a little bit, and uh, some games with Georgia coming up. But we do want to start with the Auburn Tigers, 4-4 four and four on the season, uh, get their first SEC win against Mississippi State. Just what have you thought about the Tigers this season? Well, I mean, you know, thanks to Peyton Thorne for finally showing up and playing like he was supposed to. It would have been nice for him to play like that earlier in the year. I I kid a little bit. I mean, I know it's been a combination of things. Uh, The offensive line's been inconsistent. The receivers have not been very good. and It's just been a whole combination of things. But, you know, when I talked a couple weeks ago about, you know, surprise players through the transfer portal and all this, I mean, the SEC's had a pretty good hit rate in terms of guys who've come in via the transfer portal and, and been great successes. And, you know, you look at Alabama last year, Jameer Gibbs going over from Georgia Tech, turns himself into a first-round pick. You know, Jamison Williams, the same thing. I mean, there's been a lot of great stories through the transfer portal. But, uh, you know, I said a few weeks ago, I thought Peyton Thorne might be, you know, if we were doing a top-ten list of biggest busts through the transfer portal as far as, like, expectations – I think Thorne's been up there. I mean, it's just I really thought he was going to come in and solidify that quarterback job. But, you know, the way things looked through the first couple weeks, God, they they could have just rolled with T.J. Finley again if they really wanted to. I mean, it it just was not good. But that said, I get it. It was Mississippi State. They're not very good either. They do have some good players on their defense, but just out of sync, out of, you know, everything. And it was a good offensive performance for Auburn after a bunch of lackluster performances so far throughout the year. So that was good to see. Jarquez Hunter, you know, really nice day running the football for him. And so hopefully this is something to build on. Because as we know, I mean, these next couple of games for Auburn are, are very winnable games. And, and there, is a, there is a world where Auburn could be sitting at seven wins going into the Iron Bowl. I don't think that's likely, but there's a world where that could happen. Chris, you touched on it a second ago there. Mississippi State's defense, uh, their run defense has been pretty good. They've struggled in other, in other areas. Do you think that this performance from Auburn was more to do with them improving on offense or the Mississippi State defense not being up to the task or a combination of the two? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Again, I, I would hope that when you have offensive minds like Hugh Freeze and Phillip Montgomery, that you know the, the crap that they were putting out there the first few weeks, that, that wasn't what you know, that they weren't sitting there going, this is the best we can do. I think they changed a few things up. We saw some things with protection changes, getting the ball out a little bit quicker this week and things like that. So, again, I'm hopeful. Like Peyton Thorne, what he put on film at Michigan State, like we hadn't seen that guy really outside of the Sanford game, but I'm not even giving him that. It was Sanford. Um, we, we hadn't seen that guy until this week. So, yeah, again, is Mississippi State's defense not up to par? Sure, but – Auburn just needed a game like this to get a little confidence going, to get Peyton Thorne feel like, okay, I am a good college quarterback, and and this is what we can do when everything's clicking. So, you know, I said it, I said it, you know, in the off season, guys. I I, I thought Auburn was going to finish dead last in the West uh, because I just thought that all the new pieces they brought in, it was going to take some 
time for chemistry and, and everything to adjust and adapt. And maybe we're starting to see that now. Maybe the chemistry is starting to gel. They've, they've found their, their five offensive linemen they trust most. Jarquez Hunter's starting to run the ball well. And, uh, and hopefully Peyton Thorne settles in and this is a, a sign of good things to come for him. So, Chris, let's look at a couple of the top matchups in the league here in the coming weeks, and especially let's start off with that LSU-Alabama matchup in in Tuscaloosa this weekend, which pretty much decides the West. Obviously, it was a a shaky start out of the gate for LSU, but they've they've stabilized uh, really starting with that that second half against Missouri and then obviously whipped Auburn, whipped Army as they should. But uh, LSU and Alabama, this this is an interesting one, Chris. What do you think about this one? Well, like, if I'm making predictions for this game right now, I'm thinking it, this could very well look like that Alabama-Tennessee game a year ago that ended, what was it, 52-49. to 49. Um, LSU's offense, look, LSU's got two two losses. The offense isn't the reason they lost those games. Jane Daniels has been phenomenal every single week that, that he has played football for, for LSU. And it's just funny when I see some of these people say, oh, Michael Penix for Washington, he should win the Heisman, all this. I'm going... That guy's had games where he's stunk, like, or not stunk, but, you know, not been lights out. Jane Daniels, every week he's been out there, he's been lights out. And, you know, it's not his fault that this is one of LSU's worst defenses they've had in recent years. But um, I do think they're up against it this week. We just found out today that, you know, Zai Alexander, their defensive back, he got hurt uh, two weeks ago in the Army game. He's going to be out. Uh, two of the other DBs, Deuce Chestnut and Denver Harris, they will not play in this game. So LSU's going to have to lean on some young freshmen and sophomore corners that haven't really played much, like Terrence Welch and Ashton Stamps. Sage Ryan's going to have to play one of those corner spots. And then on top of it, we found out today that one of their big interior D linemen, Makai Wingo, had surgery on the bye week, and he may miss the rest of the season. And so, I mean, it's like it's a defense that was already banged up, that was already not very good, and now they lose any you know depth they really had, including a couple starters. So... This is a game where, to me, like, Harold Perkins has to show up in a big way. He's got to make some big plays. The good news for LSU is Alabama's the most sacked team in the SEC, so Jalen Milrow does take, you know, he does get sacked a lot. Uh, if I'm LSU, I just got to keep sending pressure and hope you force them into mistakes because if they're just going to play zone coverage with these young, inexperienced DBs, guys like Jermaine Burton and Amari Nyblock are going to eat them apart. So, uh, the, the good news is, on the flip side, LSU's 100% healthy on offense. It sounds like Emory Jones, their right, right tackle, is coming back healthy this week, and they'll have their full complement. Their entire O-line, Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr., Logan Diggs, they're going to have everybody back and healthy, and so uh, I expect LSU's going to score points. This is going to be the toughest offense Alabama faces all year. Uh, on the flip side, this will be the, the, one of the tougher defenses LSU has seen all year, but I do think LSU's going to go in and going to score points. But I do think uh, this is a game that Jalen Milrow can look very good to put up a lot of points. The thing he has to watch, though, and we've seen this from Milrow throughout the year, uh, the, the stupid interception at the inopportune time or the, you know, the fumble because he got sacked and he lost the football. Like We've seen that a couple times from Milrow throughout this year. If, he, if, if Milrow protects the football, Alabama's got a chance to win this game. But I do think LSU's offense is coming in. I mean, they've been an, a well-oiled machine all year long. Uh, they're scoring points. And so uh, and that's why I say I really do think this is going to be like a 52-49 type game. Do you find that either one of these teams are better equipped against Georgia? I know that really what we could get into with the SEC is just find me a, a most likely loss scenario for Georgia at some point. 
I mean, is it from one of these two teams? Is it from uh, is it from Ole Miss when they go into Athens? Is it from Tennessee being at home? I mean, find me the most likely scenario for Georgia to lose. Well, I think Georgia's about to see their, their toughest part of their schedule. I mean, uh, I get they're at home, but Missouri is the real deal, man. i, I got to give Eli Drinkwood's credit. He has done uh, a phenomenal job in getting the most out of Brady Cook. Uh, Cody Schrader's been outstanding, one of the top two rushers in the SEC. Luther Burden has taken that big sophomore step here this year. I mean, it, it's just guy after guy after guy. They're bringing offensive weapons from everywhere, and their defense has been pretty good. So, you know, my question is, what is Georgia? Like, and I tweet this out, like, every time we question Georgia, they show up in a big way. A few weeks ago, they're, they're hosting Kentucky. People start picking Kentucky to win that game. Georgia goes out there and obliterates them. This past week, people start going, you know what, Florida's pretty good. I, I think they can beat Georgia. So Suddenly, Georgia goes out there and obliterates them. So I'm interested to see what the message is this week. Are people going to pick Missouri to, to maybe pull off the upset on Georgia? Because if they are, maybe we'll see Georgia show up and show out and be that dominant Georgia team. But we've also seen times where they haven't looked great. I mean, the fourth quarter gets Auburn. They have to pull that one out to you know, fall down double digits to South Carolina to start the year. So I don't know. I don't know what Georgia is yet as a team. I know they just keep finding ways to win, but these next two weeks, playing Missouri and then having to go to Tennessee is going to be a really, really tough game for them, and, and we'll see how they come out. But, uh, you know, if we get to an SEC championship game and Georgia's there, uh, who matches up better? Probably LSU because they can, you know, the offense, they can score at will. And uh, we saw Georgia's defense play really well against them in the SEC championship game last year. But Remember that second half. I mean, Georgia still had their starters in, and LSU was still going down and scoring points, even though they were behind by so much at that point. But um, it, it'll be interesting. I, I, I think, though, guys, what's so amazing is in the summer, everybody predicted automatically we just penciled in Georgia-Alabama in the, in the SEC title game. What if I told you Missouri and LSU both pull off upsets this weekend? We could be talking about an LSU-Missouri SEC title game in Atlanta. And so now, deep diving into that Missouri team a little bit, you mentioned some guys there, but I mean, what is it that Eli Drinkwitz has figured out, and, and are they for real, or is this kind of a flash in the pan for Drinkwitz and those Tigers? No, I think they're, I think they're real, the real deal. Like, Brady Cook, you got to give him credit. He has really settled in and, and become more confident. That they're protecting. The offensive line has, has been very good. Uh, but it starts with Cody Schrader, man. I mean, that's a kid that was in a transfer portal. I think he played, like, Division two Truman State, and that kid has been phenomenal ever since he stepped on campus. And to talk about him and Ray Davis being right up there as, as the top two rushers in, in the SEC right now um, is saying something. Again, the, the weapons that he's got, Luther Burden, you know, the big five-star number one receiver in the country a year ago, ever since he stepped on campus at Missouri, every time he gets the football, he's electric and doing something special. So, yeah, I, I think Drinkwitz has really figured out something there. Now, now Carson Beck at Georgia, he has taken – Strides. He has looked more, you know, better week in and week out. And even without Brock Bowers, I thought he was phenomenal against Florida this past weekend. So, uh, you know, he could always come back down to earth and play a bad game. And if that happens, how does Georgia win? You know, do, do they find themselves, uh, you know, in a game with Missouri this weekend? What if Carson Beck makes that big mistake and throws an interception or turns the ball over? I think it could get very interesting. But yeah, again, I just I give Drinkwitz credit because I know. He got that extension at the end of last year, and we're all going, wait, an extension? He's a guy a lot of us maybe had on the hot seat. Yeah. But he's figured it out, man, and Mizzou is actually a, a force in the SEC East right now. Talking to Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC podcast today on Sports Call. And Chris, we'll, we'll start to wrap things up with this. 
Uh, we, you just mentioned the coaching hot seat, and I, I feel like uh, let's talk a little hot seat for a second. You being in the Houston area, which is obviously not far from College Station, you're going to be more apt to talk about this than the rest of us, although I think we can all kind of figure out the tea leaves. Just where are we at on the Jimbo Fisher dynamic there at Texas A&M? And, and uh, I mean, how uh, – I, I know the seat's warm. I mean, are, are we looking at the last year of this? Where, where are we at on Jimbo Fisher? It, it all depends on what the expectations of the big oil and oil and gas – the, the big money people are that that are the big boosters over there at uh at a and m um you know i asked cole kublik about this over the summer i said i said is he safe at seven and five cole said no um you know other people have said seven and five he keeps his job the problem is they're five and three guys they got road trips at at ole miss and at lsu left on the schedule and, and we'll see the ole miss one this weekend if they, if they lose in oxford I do not think they're going to beat LSU. Somebody brought up, oh, well, they beat LSU a couple times in recent years. Yes, but they've never beaten them in Baton Rouge. Uh, since A&M has come to, back to the conference, they've never beaten LSU in Baton Rouge. So if that holds true and he loses to Ole Miss and he loses to LSU and he finishes 7-5, and five, is that enough for Jimbo to keep his job? It's disappointing. Now it's a step forward from where they were a year ago, right? So Jimbo can, can go to the, you know, the school president and say, look, I improved over my win total from last year, and I lost my starting quarterback. Hunter Wegman got hurt only a few games into the season, so you can't get rid of me for this. It's all about what the big money people want to do. And, again, if they think that there's a bigger name out there, I'm just throwing a name out there. If Urban Meyer calls and says, you know what, I'll come coach at College Station or, or somebody like that, I think the Aggies will, will put up the money. They'll pay the, the ridiculous buyout, and, and they will move on. I mean, I, I just don't get it. Like, if you watch A&M, the way Jimbo coaches – God, it's like he's coaching still in 2009, and, and it's 2023, guys. Like it, It's like Jimbo hasn't turned the page and, and joined the modern age of college football. But we'll see what happens. Again, he's definitely a name to watch. But if he goes 7-5, and five, in my opinion, I wouldn't fire him. It's just he can't fire a coach for going 7-5. and five. But then again, I think Texas, out of that COVID year, fired Tom Herman when he went 7-3. and three. So, you know, there's precedent for it. It's, it t- continues to be one of the most fascinating uh, coaching decisions there in college station and of course we'll continue to be monitoring that uh throughout these last few weeks chris gordy locked on sec with us today on the program chris as always we appreciate the time what do you have going on with the locked on sec podcast the rest of the week and how can our listeners uh watch the show yeah we'll be getting thick into the uh the alabama lsu game and breaking down some of the numbers throughout the week and uh just locked on sec wherever you get your podcast we're on youtube now and uh yeah we got the video version and the audio version and uh Going to have my buddy Chris Marler on the show on Wednesday, and he's a big Bama homer, so we'll, we'll get his perspective. I've heard he's jumping ship already. He thinks LSU's going to win, so we'll talk about it throughout the week. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. He's Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC Podcast. Again, Chris, we really appreciate the time today, and we look forward to talking to you again down the line. All right, guys. Stay warm out there.